welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live this Christian life. I'm Eric, Discipleship Pastor at New Life Lutheran Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. And today is the first official New Life Lutheran Podcast, and so I wanted to give you a brief rundown on how we're going to handle this podcast. Every Monday, we're going to publish a podcast that is the sermon from that weekend services. So every Monday as you join us, you're going to hear a brief introduction to the sermon and the sermon series. You're going to hear the scripture text, and then you're going to hear the sermon for that week. And then on Thursday, we're going to publish a second podcast every week. It'll mostly be Pastor Ben and I talking about various things in the Christian life, but we will also have other guests on there as well. We're going to start by exploring the Christian life and how we live life together, why we live life together, how we organize our life together, small groups, small group leadership, and some of those issues. We're going to run for six to 10 weeks until Advent time or a little bit into Advent time. Then we're going to take a break for the holidays, and then we're going to pick right back up into it with another theme into the new year. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get growing. Our sermon text is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, All these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Well, five weeks ago, we started a conversation called Transformed Hearts. It was a sermon series where we looked at transformation and the idea of transformation. And we asked the question, how can we be transformed? And we saw in scripture this incredible truth, and it was this, a promise that we will be transformed when our minds are renewed. In other words, a different way to say this is, when God's truth comes in, it kicks out the lies of this world. And when we think differently, we act differently. And we think and act differently, our lives take on this this mode of transformation. And as we look at Christ's life, we see that he transformed people's lives. But he did it in three unique ways. In a new life, we call this the row, the table, and the chair. And we mimic the patterns that Christ lived out as he transformed and taught people truth. The first one is the row. This is the large group gathering. As we see through scripture, when Jesus got to the peak of his popularity, that people would flock to Jesus. 
They wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to see everything. They just wanted to experience it. And he accommodated that. He let everyone and anyone come into that setting. There was rich, there was poor, there was young, there was old, there was the pastor's daughter who was screaming through the whole thing. It was great. Like everyone was there. There was even people who believed, people who didn't believe. In fact, people who were against Christ. And there was a whole bunch of people in the middle. They were trying to figure it out. They were trying to understand what was true and what wasn't true and what did this guy have to offer. They just showed up. In the modern setting, this is this. Hundreds of people, in some churches, thousands of people coming together. Some believe, some don't believe. Some are trying to figure it out. Maybe that's you today. But you come in, and you come in the crowd because that feels a little bit safer to hear God's truth and to see how that might penetrate your heart this morning. But Jesus didn't just leave it there. He, he took a group and took them a step deeper. That's called the table, or what we call the table here. And it was his disciples. He had 12 men that he was so intentional about of transforming their lives that they ate together, they lived together, they shared life together. And even when Jesus taught the big groups, that was the group that he pulled aside and said, hey, let's do a deeper dive. Let's understand this in a deeper way. And he would explain some of these stories to them and they would have this discussion. In our, in our modern New Life setting, it's called life groups. And at, at New Life, we have groups of 10 or so and they join together they pray together, they live life together, they talk through some of the hard issues of life, they study God's word, and they begin to be transformed in those settings. And Pastor Eric runs those groups. And we also see in Christ's life something unique that he did that was transformative. It says many times in the morning he would get up and he would go all by himself to pray. He would get away from the hustle and bustle of life, the distractions of life, and he would put himself out someplace where no one could find him, and he would pray and he would listen, and he would think. We call that the chair. For you, it's like devotions, right? You shut off your phone, you shut off the TV, you get away from your family, your spouse, you just find your, your space there with a cup of coffee, you crack open the Bible, you break out our daily bread, you listen to a podcast, and you just exist with Jesus. And you hear his word, and you pray, and you just give him all of your burdens. And through those three things, we experience transformation. Now, if you missed any of that series, I encourage you to go back to our website. Our sermons are always available. You can start at part one, just work your way all the way through, because I think it will really help you move forward in your spiritual journey. But if you get none of that, if you forgot everything that Pastor Eric and I have said over the past number of weeks, this is the one thing I wanted you to grab onto in that first series. It was this. Everyone wants transformation. Everyone wants transformation. This just isn't a Christian thing. This is a everyone thing. Your neighbor wants transformation. Your coworker wants transformation. Your classmate, your teammate, your spouse, your kids, the grandkids. We all want it. In fact, this past week, it became even more evident to me that this was true. Because on Tuesday, I went to the gas station. And there was a whole line of people holding $2 in their hands. I might have been one of them. And we were all in line trading these $2 for a little slip of paper with a bunch of numbers on it. I think five numbers or so. And our hope was that those numbers would match up with the magical numbers that were going to make us billionaires instantly, right? Transform our lives instantly. Now, obviously I didn't win. You didn't win. That was in South Carolina somewhere. But someone became a billionaire and instantly their life was transformed. 
But before that happened, when you had that ticket in your hand, you started talking, didn't you? You started having conversations with your spouse or your friends or whatever group you're in, and you started talking about, what would I do with a billion dollars? And you started thinking, I'd pay off all my debts, I'd get a nicer house, I'd buy a new car for the first time, or maybe multiple cars for the first time. You thought of all sorts of things, how you could help your family, your community, your church. You thought about how your life would be transformed if you just had a million dollars, a billion dollars, or something more. What's interesting about lottery winners, and I've been doing a little bit of research this week, is that lottery winners actually don't experience transformation, at least what they're hoping to experience. In fact, this is the, the truism of this. Lottery winners, million dollar plus, are more likely to file for bankruptcy than us. Now, why is that true? Because what they expect to experience, the transformation they expect to hold on to, isn't actually there. See, they get the money, and they go buy their first thing. And they think it will bring them transformation or happiness, and guess what it doesn't do? It doesn't bring them happiness. So they buy something a little bit more expensive. And this pattern continues until all the money is gone, and now they've racked up a whole bunch of debt, and what's their option? You've got to file for bankruptcy to get rid of all those creditors. You see, here's the truth. Our world, everyone in your life wants transformation. The problem is they have no idea where to get the transformation that they're hoping for. So today we're going to shift a little bit. We're going to shift to a new series called Transformed Lives. And in it, we're going to look at five conversations that Jesus had with real-life people who had bought into a lie. And we're going to see him bring truth into their sphere and give them an opportunity to buy into that truth and understand that truth and kick out the lies and have their lives be transformed. But what's so amazing over the next five weeks is that you're going to see is that not only are their lives transformed, but they start influencing, impacting those who are closest to them, their friends, their families, and their neighbors. So let's take a look at our first story, which comes to us from Mark 10. It says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the first thing we see is we see this man. He was a young man, and he ran up to Christ. And you're thinking, how do you know he's young, Ben? doesn't say young in that statement. There's no implications of young. Well, if we look at the Gospel of Matthew, a different eyewitness of the same account who recalled certain details that were slightly different than Mark, wrote down that he was young. So we see something interesting here. We see a young person coming to Christ and is so desperate to know something about the next life that he falls on his knees in front of Christ and asks him this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I know what's going to happen next? Now, we don't know for sure, but when a young person starts thinking about death, something must be going on in his life. Maybe a grandparent has died or a parent has died or maybe a, a friend who was way too young had died. So it put eternity into his perspective. So he finds himself at the feet of Christ asking this question. And he says it in such a beautiful way. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't know if he fully understood the statement that he was making or why he said it in such an eloquent way, but it's really a beautiful way to ask. Because an inheritance is something that we don't deserve and we don't earn. 
right? You have a, a grandparent or a parent or maybe a rich uncle out there, and they worked hard their whole life, and they, they raised their resources up, or maybe they invested wisely, and so they have a bunch of stock, and there's money sitting there, and when they pass away, they give it to who? They give it to those who they're in relationship with. And so when this guy asks this question, it's so beautiful because he says, what must I do to inherit it? In other words, I'm going to get something that I never earned, never worked for, didn't deserve, but someone's going to give it to me. So Jesus responds, and this is what he says. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. See, even though this guy said this in such an eloquent way, Jesus knew he didn't quite understand what he was saying, that he had bought into a lie. So Jesus begins to start giving him the truth. And he says, no one is good except God. We've all screwed up. We've all made mistakes. We've all damaged other people. We've all damaged God. We've, we've done something or failed to do something that created a mess, right? We know this. We know this. So Jesus says, no one's good. The only person that's good is God, right? That's the only perfect being in the universe. So he goes on. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So we learn something else about this young man. Not only is he young and a guy, but he's religious, right? Specifically, he's Jewish. Now, how do we know that? Because Christ is telling him the Ten Commandments, right? This is from the Jewish faith. These were the commandments that they held on to and they followed. But he only lists six. And if you're good at math, you're probably thinking, that's weird. Why only six? Well, in the Ten Commandments, they're divided in two parts. There's the, the vertical commandments, which deal with our relationship with God. And there's the horizontal commandments, which deal with our relationship with others. And so Jesus lays out the six horizontal commandments. You know, don't steal. Don't impact people in a negative way in this way. And so he goes through all of them. So the guy responds. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And we got, start getting to the heart of the lie. This is Jesus. If this is what you're going to hold me accountable to, I'm good. Since I was a young boy, as soon as I learned the commandments, I started living them out. I'm incredibly religious, and I treat people well. People love me. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. I don't do any of the stuff that would ne negatively impact others. That's who I am, Jesus. And if this is the standard you're holding me to, I'm good. So Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, I love how this is phrased. It's so beautiful. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. It doesn't say that Jesus looked at him and judged him. He knew he was wrong. It says he looked at him and loved him which is beautiful. It's all throughout the gospel that Jesus looked at people who were failing, messing up their lives, who were caught up in sin, and he had empathy towards them. A posture that we should emulate as Christians, right? When we see people failing, and they're caught up in sin, and they're train wrecking their lives, we should be empathetic towards them because they're destroying their lives and they're destroying their eternity. There's no space for judgment. There's space for love. That we look at people and we we look at them with empathy and we care for them and love them. 
And then Jesus makes this, this crazy offer to this guy. He says, if you do this, I'm going to give you this. Here's the trade-off. You give away all your possessions, and then come follow me, which is the same phrase he used when he called the disciples, right? He went to the Sea of Galilee. He said, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. So it seems to have this implication that this guy is, is going to be possibly far more than just a crowd participant or a believer. He had the potential to get into somewhat of the inner circle. If you get rid of all this, I'm going to give you this. So here's his response. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So the man is sad and he leaves. Now, it wasn't the horizontal commandments that were the issue. It was one real specific vertical commandment, which is you will have no other gods before me. Where was this guy's failure? He had put his resources, his riches, above a relationship with God. Unfortunately, I think in our lives, we do this all the time. It might not be money for you. It might be, it might be sports. It might be a relationship. It might be your job. And we put that above Christ. And we walk away sad. Because we don't experience the transformation that we expect to feel when we win the lottery, when we succeed in our job, when our relationships are going well. See, I think there's someone else who's sad in this situation too, and I think it was Christ. Because when Jesus saw this guy, what did he see? A young, rich guy. A lot of potential. A lot of things he could do in the world. He had the whole world in his hand, but he missed the whole point. Imagine what this guy could have done at the table. Imagine the impact he could have made in the world. But instead, he walked away to go back to his riches, and he missed the whole point. So Jesus used this as a is a teaching opportunity for his disciples, and this is what happens. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. You see, the disciples had bought into a lie as well. They had bought into this false notion that rich people were righteous. And the reason they thought that is because they viewed blessing as monetary. If God loved you, if you were righteous, then you'd be rich. And unfortunately, that lie is creeping back into our society today. And it's not true. And that's why they were so amazed when Jesus said, it would be hard for them to make the kingdom of God because they view these things as interconnected. You're rich, God loves you. You're poor, God doesn't love you as much. That's how they viewed it. So they were amazed that he would say something that was so counter to what they actually bought into. So Jesus goes on. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? So how they viewed riches was God's blessing. And so if rich people can't make it, then how are those who aren't rich, who apparently don't have blessings from God, going to make it? So what does Jesus say? This is what he responds. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. See, Jesus gets right to the lie. This false understanding that we can do 
or be good enough or be rich enough or do anything to earn eternal life or really do anything to transform our lives. So that is reserved for God alone. Now let's fast forward about 1,500 years into the future from this story. There was another young man. His name was Martin Luther. And his dad noticed in him that he was bright. He was really well-versed in scholastics, and so his dad thought he would be a great lawyer, right? Let's bring that money back into the family because the family was poor, and so he encouraged him to go off to school, and so he started studying law. And he studied, and he studied, and he studied, and it came time for a break, and so he's going to go home from the university. And so a young Martin Luther starts walking back home, and he gets caught up in this crazy lightning storm. And as the lightning is flashing all around him, he gets so scared that he's concerned that he's going to die. He's not going to make it. And so he makes a deal with God. He says, God, if you let me survive, I will become a monk. And he survives. And he falls through on his promise, and so he gives up everything to go be a monk. He gives up his whole life, his whole trajectory, everything to fall in God's way. And as he's there, he's bought into this lie that if he keeps working, that God will love him more. And so he tries and tries and tries and tries, but he never gets that satisfaction that he's really looking for because he knows in his heart, I'm never good enough. I can never do enough to make God happy. So he keeps trying and trying and trying, and he gets noticed by people, and they move him into the role of a professor. And so he goes and teaches at the university, and as he does that, he gets access to more and more of the scripture, and he studies and studies and studies, and he finds something that unlocks this lie, something that was dormant in Scripture that the church had, had seemed to have forgotten along the way. And this is the verse that changed his understanding and ultimately changed the world. It says this in Romans. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. And when Luther read that, all of his struggling and all of his trying, he knew counted for nothing. And that it was only faith. It had always only been faith. It had only been that real relationship with God that ever mattered. And he saw that in the Old Testament. And he saw it in the New Testament. And he saw it in his life. And he saw it in the future that it would always be faith from first to last. That real relationship with God. So here's what Luther saw. Here's what the disciples began to realize, and this is what many of us have believed in already. It's this, that true transformation is only available through a real relationship with Christ. See, that young man came on his knees before Christ, and he said it right, but he didn't understand it. What can I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get gifted this great eternal transformation and Jesus knew he didn't understand it, but you can. See, you get an inheritance from someone who you're in relationship with. And our belief and our faith in Christ of what Christ alone has done on the cross allows us to be in pure and true relationship with God. So we have access to that eternity. It's a beautiful truth. And it's the beginning of all transformation in our lives. Well, the next four weeks... We're going to continue this conversation, and we're going to look at more people who interacted with Christ, more people who had bought into some lies, maybe some lies that you've bought into in your life. 
And we're going to see Jesus transform their lives by getting that truth into them. But there's one more thing that happens, and it's so amazing as we read through these stories. It just didn't transform their lives. It transformed everyone around them. See, these people shared their faith. They lived out their faith, and it transformed their neighbors, their friends, everyone they ran into, because everyone, everyone, everyone wants transformation. It's just that people don't know where to find it. So as Luther's life was transformed, as he bought into this truth, it impacted the world. And he set out a chain of events that radically transformed the world. And people read scripture for the first time. And people understood how to have access to a real relationship with Christ. And we still are experiencing that, even today, through one young man who simply believed the truth of God's word and it impacted all those around him.